This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. On today's show, I have a special guest from the UK, and among other subjects, we will talk about how to get things done, even when you don't feel like it, how to prepare for a post-COVID world, and also what our counterparts in Europe are seeing and doing in the current business climate. So stay tuned for the whole show. You don't want to miss any of this content. So let me introduce you to my special guest, and that is Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper has 30 years of multifunctional business experience. Prior to supporting and funding successful entrepreneurial ventures, Chris worked with many global brands such as Mars, United Biscuits, and Punch. And in fact, when he was at United Biscuits, he managed an international team that expanded to a number of countries to include France and Belgium and Poland and Finland and Spain and many others. In addition, when he was at the Punch Corporation, there he was working with pubs and managing various pub organizations. And in that role, he also worked at the board level. Chris elevates business success now as an advisor, coach, facilitator, and consultant. He develops leaders and teams and builds highly engaged workforces, particularly in the insurance and financial services sectors. He founded the Business Elevation Show on Voice America in 2011, building a massive network of global connections and an audience in over 50 countries. He speaks on topics such as elevating leadership, engagement, and his book, The Power to Get Things Done, Whether You Feel Like It or Not, published by Penguin Random House, USA. He is also the founder of the Elevation Collective, an exclusive network of business change makers. Chris is a fellow and former regional president of the Professional Speaking Association in the UK. So Chris, thank you for being here. Welcome to The Voice of Leadership. Dr. Karen, it's an absolute pleasure and uh, love uh, love our conversations and uh, very excited today. You did a join me on my show recently and you did a fantastic job of interviewing me. So this is going to be great fun. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Chris. It's good to be with you again. And you're right. We always have fun. We always have a good conversation. So we'll be sharing it and finding out uh, how our audience can also learn today from what you have to share. So first of all, I just want to ask you a little bit, Chris, about the business climate in the UK. In the United States, many businesses, because of the pandemic, have actually permanently closed their doors or significantly reduced their size or locations, aspects of their operations during this pandemic. 
Other businesses, however, are busier than ever. So how has the pandemic affected business in the UK? What are you seeing over there? Yeah, I think it's, it sounds very similar to the US. So I think uh, the drop in in the sale of, uh, of, of products is even higher over here. So um, what a statistic that I discovered recently is that we had a 9.9% drop in the sale in, in sales from 2020 over 2019 and actually that has led to the biggest kind of dip in uh, the economy for 300 years so the situation right now is actually worse than post the first world war when you know and when spanish flu happened um you have to go back to 17 i think 006 to the great frost when um europe had its coldest uh, period for 500 years so we are struggling over here. Um, I think when we get on lock again, we will find that um, there's a lot of um, you know, big retail stores that have gone. And um, there are certainly a lot of companies that are really struggling. You know, pubs, for example, haven't been open since you know, December, November, December, and were closed for part of last year as well. So their, you know, their performance is... Um, is really down. On, on the positive of it, it all though, but the climate in the world maybe producing a bit less is not necessarily such a bad thing, even though it's causing us all quite a bit of bit of pain. But my business was actually up, up this year, so I can't really complain. Well, I would imagine, yes, that your business would be up because those people who are still in business would need a lot of advisement and some counsel about what to do and where to go. So tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you see people facing and how you're helping them with some of those challenges. Yeah, I, I think there's been a number of challenges. I mean, for, in March, for example, my clients pretty much put me on hold and I didn't know what was going to happen and I think a lot of people felt that as well you know um, people were very unsure um, being overcautious uh, and what happened was a lot of people went on we call it furlough over here where they they were um, being paid 80% by the government uh, and but were working um, were based at home uh, and that led to virtual working it led to um, to you know issues around you know, maintaining kind of engagement for people uh, and momentum and energy within organizations and therefore you know helping leaders to be able to think through this and how do we connect virtually how do we deal when our clients have gone you know quiet and keep that momentum going and building how do we keep people motivated and inspired how do we get the best uh, out of people in the, when they've got worries and there's things going on at home i mean i've had three friends who've lost parents in this pandemic so a lot of uncertainty a lot of things going on below the surface and uh, and I found myself supporting clients uh, and having conversations I've not really had before, you know, but with which have gone more detail about people's mental health challenges, you know, losses in family, those sorts of things which are affecting performance at work. So some slightly different, you know, different environment. But what I have loved is being able to help more and help help, you know, really feel that you 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 are helping adding value. So I've I've very much enjoyed that really. Um, you know, Chris, that's really significant what you're saying. In other words, you're going where the client really needs you to go. So if they're facing a lot of losses and they need to talk about the grief or address the mental health aspect, then that's where you go. And then, of course, in the U.S. as well, we've had lots of loss with people dying, co-workers at work, as well as family members. And then there's the virtual workspace and how do you end up 
staying engaged, as you say, in that virtual environment. And then clients who may be feeling quite reluctant and maybe not as willing to sign on to, let's say, some new work. So give us maybe one strategy that you found helpful in what you share with your clients about dealing with the virtual work environment, and maybe one strategy about how to engage customers who may be feeling reluctant for those businesses who are still operating. Okay, yeah, yeah, good, good questions. I mean, I think the, I think the first thing I've, I've had to do with people is help them to understand that actually you can really engage with people virtually. So, you know, I've had clients who've been nervous about utilizing Zoom and uh, and doing virtual meetings and and the, the frequency of those and those sorts of things. But also what you can do, and I've realized it myself, is I've done my work virtually and it's been very efficient, actually. I'm not going to travel anywhere. I mean, two weeks ago, I've had to travel to the north of England, London, central England. I had five days of client work and actually it would have been almost impossible to do that level of work. That had to travel, but using breakout rooms, uh, using en- energizers, uh, using whiteboards and things like that online, you can create experiences which are, you know, almost as good as being in a room. But it requires you to uh, appreciate that it is possible for the start. So that that's been a a mind shift, um, a, a, a shift for people. And I suppose the other thing with regards to clients is is really been a lot going on and being able to just call clients up and just actually see how they are it's the same with your staff actually don't have the first conversation about you know when's your order next order coming in you know actually find out how they are and what's going on with them and uh, leave them feeling better than you started to come and then they'll come back to you when the time's right keep that relationship going and I say the same with with staff as well. Don't start with, you know, what, what are your numbers like this? Uh, start with actually, how are you? You know, how's the family? How's the children? What's going on with you? So I think uh, it's been about connecting with people and, and using this as a time to build relationships. Oh, I love that. And such the thread in everything you're talking about is about the connection and using the time to build relationships. I think you're also talking about in the virtual space, being able to use the tools that we have to create that engaged experience for people and to recognize there are some benefits to the streamlining that can be done, the saving of time because you don't have to travel and so on and so forth. So I like the notion where it's like, don't just call people to get orders or to see what their numbers are if they're employees, but how are you? Really check in, be human. This is a good time to increase the human spirit and human connection. That's really great counsel, Chris. So thank you for sharing those tips. So let me ask this, Chris, you have a lot of business experience and you're also helping a lot of clients right now. So what is your personal backstory? How did you get involved in business and entrepreneurial pursuits? And even now to the point where you're advising business leaders, tell us about your background, maybe your childhood, your early life. How did you get prepared to do what you're doing today? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think this was necessarily expected of me. I was brought up in a, in a steel town in the north of England. And, you know, we, we, we were a very you know, working class family. My dad was a steel worker. The natural thing was that the, the sons would go into the steel works and follow in the father's footsteps, as my grandfather did. Um, and my dad followed in his footsteps before me. And I was about 13 or 14, Dr. Karen, when 
my dad took me on an open evening at the, at the works and we walked around and um, this, this, this place my dad had described, dark, molten metal flying around, noisy, dangerous. You know, we saw a train where my dad had told me stories where people had got crushed underneath it. Oh, um, you know, this wasn't a great environment. And, and afterwards we went in this room for a few sandwiches and this tall man walked in and my dad straightened up and he, it's the chief executive of, of British Steel. And uh, this guy walked over straight to me. My dad had never spoken to him before. And he said to me, he said, son, um, have you enjoyed it today? I said, yeah. And he said, well, would you, um, when you're older, are you going to come and work for us? I said, you must be joking. And my dad was, absolutely was in his face top. He was furious. And we, we got in the car on the way home and he was angry with me. And why did you say that one day? You might want a job there. And what came out of my lips, I remember, was, but dad, why would I want to work there? Because you don't enjoy it. And, and I think that was the first moment for me that I probably realised actually I needed to get out of Scunthorpe. Uh, and I was the first one to go to go away and, and do a degree and, and get on to graduate programmes. And there was some spark in me which kind of drove me, really. So I think in me, you know, where today where I help leaders and teams develop and, and grow, some of that comes out of, you know, seeing the environment my dad had to work in for 40 years and he didn't like it, didn't enjoy it, but he did it for the family. And, and I wanted to change those environments really and change the leadership and create environments that people love to work in. And, uh, and through my interviews and things, I want to also engage people to, to step up and realize their potential and see the opportunity in themselves to make a bigger contribution. And, and ultimately today to make a positive ripple in in being part, part of the solution and not the problem when it comes to what's happening in the world right now. I think it all stems from that very modest background and, 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 and over time as well, I did a course at 28, what we call Landmark, which really made a shift in me. And I suddenly saw the importance of setting a vision and goals. And uh, yeah, my, my life progressed through that route. And that's actually a very powerful backstory, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm thinking about how in your case, you got the picture of the vision by seeing what you definitely didn't want to yeah, do. But... And you held in your mind the possibility that you really could find something to do that you would enjoy. And that would be more of a passion. And then specifically to look around and say, how can I help those people who like my father have to come to these places every day how could it be made better and and have that be the fuel, if you will, for your current life and what you're doing? So I think that's quite profound. It gives you sort of like a bigger why about why you're sort of in this business and what you're doing. So thanks for letting us know about that. Now, Chris, you and I both strongly believe in this idea of lead yourself first. And so how did you come to the realization that leadership first starts with that executive leader and what have you seen, you know, in companies where leaders maybe want to fix everybody else first and refuse to look in the mirror? So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think the, it, was, it was at 28 when I went on this program that I saw the power to change and the realization that actually your circumstances are impacted by who you are and the ripple that you create. And uh, it was that was the first time that I decided to write down, you know, my vision. And I decided at 28 to write down what life would be like at 40. And uh, I described I wanted to have 
my own company and I decided I could be ridiculous because I'd never be that old. Uh, and uh, of course I look back on that and, and realize uh, that uh, I'm, I'm older than that now. But it was at that, that point I realized, I saw so much change in people that I realized that actually it all starts with us. And I see that in organizations. And what I've found with my work is sometimes I will be engaged with um, a very engaged leadership team and maybe C CEO or you know, C-suite executive in, in America, and they get it, but often they don't. And what tends to happen is, you know, I work at um, a certain level in the organization. And then I mean, one example, I got, I remember getting a, getting a call. It was a, a company I'd done a development program for about a hundred people across this organization. And I got a call from the PA of the CE, chief executive. And she said, he'd like to, he wants to meet you. And I said, well, why? And she said, because he wants to know what you've done to his people. So I head down to London and what had happened was um, he said, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting intrigued because so many people have knocked on my door and say, said, you need this. And I come in in the morning and people are reacting to me very differently. They're upbeat and they're cheerful. There's been a sea change. I want to know what on earth you've done. So I did a two and a half day program with them. And then I went to the board. So often people get it when they get feedback from the staff and you know i've got an example recently where i'll sometimes we'll put metrics in the, in an organization so you can measure things like engagement and you find that the leaders think they're really engaged and everyone else says they're not and then you know that suddenly it starts to help them realize mm, somebody i'm blaming everybody else but maybe it's time to look at myself and sometimes you've got to get actually quite good direct with people and and, and help them to see that uh, and when they get it usually they're they, they're really open to it because they see that start to see the benefit. So that's really good. You're crafting some ways to give them some tangible feedback, some tangible data about how they're showing up and what the impact is. And in in this one case, having worked with their people, they got to see the transformation firsthand and said, what is that? You know, I might want some of that too, or people suggesting that maybe it might be a good idea for them to, to get that as well. So I think that's wonderful where you recognize that how we show up affects our whole organization. So if you're the chief executive, then you've got to work on you because that's gonna cascade down through the organization as well. So Chris, tell me, how are you leading yourself first these days? Well, wow. Well, well that's a really good question. One of the things I, I, I decided to do was get some extraordinary people together. And I created something I call the Elevation Collective. And uh, the first one that we created, I very much participate as well in that. And, you know, have, have a wonderful wonderful people like yourself in, in that sort of process together. And, you know, we, we ask ourselves, the aim of it is to help us elevate our consciousness. You know, what I believe in the world now is we need, we, we're very intelligent. We've got to this point with intelligence and some wisdom. We need more wisdom to grow and we need to elevate our awareness such that we can make a bigger contribution to solving the world's problems. And through that, we ask each other amazing questions and we debate those questions. And so, for example, a question that came up last week, which I love, was, what's your superpower? And, and, and when you've identified your superpower, how are you going to realise the full potential of it? So in the middle of the night, last three o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking, you know, um, my, my superpower, it's, you know, it's about connecting and engaging people. So what does that mean for my business? Uh, what do I need to do differently now? to move that forward and, and, 
and add a, you know realize the full potential in me and uh, those who work alongside me so i'm always working with myself and then of course you'll know this when you're working with so many clients you're coaching and you're you see you you learn from that too don't you so oh, you reflect yes. back on you and and then interviewing people too you learn a lot through that so it's it, it adds to your your development you know, I really like this concept where you're talking about the Elevation Collective and you're bringing all these people together. And there's sort of a biblical concept that says iron sharpens iron. So each person is kind of like the sharpener for the next one and for each other. And I think in that collective, you can grow faster and exponentially because of the collective wisdom that's in the room and the wisdom that you create because of the stuff that's in the room. So that's really phenomenal. I think that's a great way to, in this season, lead yourself first. So now, Chris, you are the host of the Business Elevation podcast show, and your show is about elevating leadership. And I know that one of the tools you use is something that you call STAR. How they have other ways that you're elevating leadership as well through your podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the, the elevating leadership is, is a, a theme through the show. So the show is very much about elevating yourself and your business. And so elevating leadership is something I've become very passionate about because when you get leaders um, who have an impact on an organization or whatever their leadership might, might entail, they have a big ripple effect. And, and, and that can have a huge ripple effect across the globe. So uh, the star model came from myself and a wonderful chap called Gene Early. And Gene was um, uh, very much at the forefront of, of NLP, if you remember you know that. And he launched uh, NLP across Europe and established the training centers in, in Europe and built a genomic research film firm, ran a, a university in Hawaii and works globally. So we, we got together and we decided to have a think, what is um, the a structure to help people elevate their leadership even further. Um, and out of those conversations came um, something called the star model. And the reason why it's a star is it enables you to shine brighter uh, and it's got five points. And it's kind of five points around the, around the star. Uh, and interestingly, we, we developed it. If you feel familiar with um, Designated Survivor, the show, you should, you should watch the Designated Survivor because I was trying to think of a, a perfect leader and uh, with Keith Sutherland in, in De uh, Designated Survivor demonstrates um, some wonderful leadership qualities. So it partly came out of looking at, uh, over the series at what he was doing as well. And so the first point is about uh, know yourself. And that's um, you know, integrated into that continuous development of yourself, uh, knowing your purpose, such that yeah, you've got absolute clarity around it. So mine's about developing potential. Also understanding where you're naturally in your flow, where you are good and where you aren't and where your superpowers kind of lie. And then um, the second point is around humility and bringing a great sense of, you know, calmness, of, uh, of, of maturity, of, uh, of love, actually. We need more love and less fear in organizations to, for them to work um, effectively and more value added we need to think of the bigger consequences and then um the next point around trust um so understanding the truth sorry so i mean there's so at the moment it's so easy there's so many people who you know want to hijack your thoughts i mean i'll 
I won't mention US as politics, but I'll, I'll mention you know Brexit in the UK. I mean, we, you know, the reason Brexit happened was was that three million people were focused on who who didn't normally vote, and they were targeted through social media with lots and lots of ads to disrupt their thinking and make them feel unhappy. So they went out and voted, and that swung it. You know, Brexit's happened. Same, I, I guess with. You know, um, you've got to decide what's the truth around vaccines. At the moment, a lot of people say they're not going to have the vaccine. You know, I, I've had three friends who've lost parents. My wife's in the NHS. Um, I've got older, you know, mother. I feel a duty to actually do that. So my truth is that it's the right thing to do. But we've got to really look at um, what, what is truth and be very, very clear about that and make sure we're not being manipulated, uh, our subconscious by others. And then the next point is about wisdom. You know, how can how we bring you know the wisdom that has you know been developed over the ages? How we use tools and techniques and models to um, to enable us to make wise decisions and tools and techniques to look into the future. And then the final point, which probably linked in, it's in quite nice in my book, is about getting things done. How do we bring things into action uh, that are implemented really effectively once we've made? The right decisions and we've, we've you know meditated on them and thought about them and so this this idea came out of um out of this dual work and we're you know, working with people utilizing that as a framework now that's wonderful especially i love the parts about bringing more love having purpose and clarity and then the truth and wisdom you mentioned your book and i do want to talk about that because people struggle with getting things done effectively, and especially if it's something they don't feel like doing. So (laughs) what are some hot tips about how do you get things done, even if you don't feel like it? I I think that's golden information. I think it was therapy for me writing the book. I needed a bit of help myself. So uh, (laughs) there was a point in time where my business was, after three years, was struggling a bit. And I realized that I was not doing the things I needed to do to run a successful business, doing things I like to do. And I was talking with I interviewed Dr. Ivan Meisner and uh, the founder of BNI, and he was, he was talking to me about success. And I, he'd identified in a big piece of research the difference between successful people and those who aren't is the successful people are great at getting the things done that less successful people don't like doing. And um, that we, we have inertia, don't we? And sometimes we're in fear. And we, we, we call it in the book Goo, where we have so much, you know, crying for our attention all of the time and we can lose um, focus on what's really important. So I guess in terms of the premises of the book, the first thing is get really clear about what is important. What are your intentions? You know, I've added to the book now, I would talk about people, you know, really thinking things through and linking them into their purpose as well. Getting very, that clarity around purpose um, is important. So get really clear about what's important. What are the, the um, intentions that you do have to move maybe your business forward, your life forward? And then what you've got to do is you've got to get really, really serious about it. You know, you've got to identify, write it down. You've got to uh, maybe have people who hold you to ac- account for it. Uh, as a, a friend of mine, um, Andy McMenemy, who, who ran 66 ultramarathons in 66 days, in uh, consecutive days in 66 cities, and got a world record set. And he hung himself by his tongue by telling them that many people what he was going to do, that he had to do it. And, and, and you then, um, from getting yourself super powered around it and having, having it clear and, and identified, you then need to, against each intention that you might have, create a strategy that means that you're going to act whether you feel like it or not. 
A lovely, my favourite example is a friend of mine from uh, Denmark, Meta Block, who's a, a twice world champion rower. And if you were to, um, she wanted to improve her intention was that she wanted to be more funny when she spoke. She wants to add more comedy into it. And she speak, she's a prolific speaker in Scandinavia. So what would you do if you wanted to add more comedy into your speaking? What would I do personally? Yeah, what would you do? What would your strategy be? I might listen to people who are funny to see what they are doing. And I happen to like humor when it's just an endemic part of the conversation. I think everyday aspects about life are funny. And so a good example of that for me is Richard Pryor. His humor was looking at what really happens every day in life and telling that everyday life story in a way that grabs people's attention, they can relate to it and they can see the humor in it. So for me, it would be something more like that, not stand-up comedian telling jokes that would bomb seriously. <laughs> with, it doesn't align with my superpowers, but I could yeah. tell stories about yeah. real life and, and inject humor about that. Yes, yeah, so you've, you've got to, that's the other thing is you, when you set the intentions, you've got to be clear about what your, your superpower is really to make sure that you're not doing lots of things that you can't do or you bring others in. But what Meta did, was she booked a 1,360-seat um, a conference hall in Tivoli Gardens, advertised herself um, to do a one-woman stand-up comedy show, and had five months then to look. She sold every seat, because she's very well-known, and um, she had then five months to learn how to do stand-up comedy. Now, that focuses the mind, and it's, a, it's an extreme example, but you can... If you've got, uh, you know, if you've got a project to do, you can you can set milestones and get and, and, and set up opportunities to present. You can, um, you know, make people aware that you're doing that project. You can um, delegate some activities out and create a plan. But you can create strategies that mean that you have to act, whether you feel like it or not. So yeah, I, I did a quadrathlon, a big a big charity event a couple of years ago, and you know, for me, telling people about it, getting the sponsorship together. And then the, the thing that powered me to train, because it was quite a, it was a, Scotland's toughest one day endurance event. So it's pretty serious in, in the Highlands of Scotland was, I sat down with somebody who'd come third in the event a few years earlier. And, he, and I said, What's, what one tip would you give me? And he said, well, if you, you've got nine months, if you consistently train, um, you know, four, five, then six times a week and, and more, between now and then, it'll be the best day of your life. If you don't, it's going to be the worst. For me, that was enough because I then, um, I, I knew that it was going to be miserable. So I got up at 5.30 and I learned to swim properly. And I, you know, I went out running and I cycled. And, and every morning in my mind, I had that saying going through my head, if you don't get up, it's going to be the worst day of your life. So I would recommend to people to create a follow-through strategy or a, um, a, a stra against those intentions that works for you because it may not work for somebody else, but get creative and create situations that mean you have to see that through. You know, this is so fun and interesting because you have some goals, you have some objectives. It's useful to have them collected to your bigger purpose what you're doing and why you're here and also connected to your superpowers, what you're good at. And then you're talking about building in accountability. If I'm now, I've got a 500 person 
all sold out. I better learn whatever it is I claim I'm going to be sharing with them because that would be the worst day of my life if it didn't work out so well. And then this concept about the worst day of your life I'm thinking about is pay now or pay later. And you said, let me pay now because the price I'd have to pay for it to be the worst day of my life, showing up at this event and failing is far worse than the price I'm paying daily, you know, in preparation and getting ready for whatever it is. Those are great, Chris. Thank you. And I hope people are taking away some creative, as you said, creative strategies to make it happen. You're really facilitating your own success, you know, when you put those kind of strategies in place. Don't forget to delegate some of those things to other people. You know, you'd have to do it all yourself and and break it up into little steps as well. So it's not so little steps, get other people to help delegate especially yeah. delegate the part that I might not really like, but needs to get yeah. done, you know? <laughs> so, Chris, why do your clients listen to you? How have you added value to their businesses? Well, sometimes it's it's in numbers. I mean, I'll just let me just say that the last month, what sort of scenarios have I had the last month? So I had uh, a company where with the founder, I did a session with them to discover their purpose in life and then link it to the business. And out of the purpose came the uh, realization that he was here to help others achieve their goals. We sat down with all of his team the following day, a couple of days, went through them all to help them to help understand what their goals were. One of the goals was they wanted to go to China. So they created Project Panda because uh, they wanted to go and see pandas. And he told me a week later, this, this new person turned up and said they had the best week that their business has had in uh, in years and everybody in sales have brought a new deal in so he was over the moon i do um some talent a lot of work with um uh, some profiling around talent and flow so i had a a session and and done a leadership program with one company but i got all the leaders together last week 12 of them online we looked at their different profiles and we looked at how they could get on better with each other they gave feedback and you know one element was that the leader himself needed to make some changes so he's been going to his staff uh, sitting down with each of them and saying on a scale of one to ten which I suggested he did um, how do you rate the quality of our relationship when they come out to get you know maybe six they work on the on the difference another company I did a little recruitment activity because they had a senior position they wanted to recruit for I did a little profiling. They were going to take this person on. I did the profiling. I interviewed them around the gaps and they were totally unsuitable. <laughs> so uh, they saved um, a huge sum of money because they didn't recruit them after my intervention. The role was heading into a senior sales role and they didn't want to do sales, but they'd missed that in the interview process. So I guess just a few little examples there. Yeah, that's really important what you're talking about. I know I'm working with some clients right now on an executive selection project and we're doing an awful lot on the front end as far as the interview questions the in-basket exercises and various assessment tools because it's an expensive proposition you don't want to bring someone on who's not interested who doesn't have the skill and ability who wouldn't be a good culture fit all those things that you're talking about so yeah that's really crucial and critical what i hear chris in terms of why people are following your leadership and paying attention You're bringing creativity, just as you mentioned before, 
and you're getting results with the creativity and elevating a sense of enthusiasm and passion in the organization from the people to say, okay, yeah, we want to go see pandas. You know, that's, <laughs> that's a good thing. So it's like, okay, that gives me a, a reason and purpose to do what I'm doing day to day because I'm after something else even beyond that. So I, I love that. That's really quite helpful. So Chris, we are still dealing with if you will, right now, this aftermath of COVID and virus and so on, there's coming a day when we're going to be post-COVID. What do you think executives can do now and today to prepare for the post-COVID environment? And what do they need to be? What do they need to know in order to do later to be successful? Yeah, I think they have to, with, with their staff who are coming back and working from home some of those people have loved it and some haven't and some of them have been more productive from home and some probably haven't and therefore i think the strategy for bringing people back or not is an important one because it will motivate can motivate some and, and and not others i think where for those who are bringing lots of people back you know it maybe it highlights the needs maybe improve some of the environments as well that some people are working in so i'm, I'm seeing some of that too I think this virtual world is going to change, is, is going to, some of it is going to stay. So I think we are going to work more virtually. And the efficiency of that, I mean, if you take out travel, you know, it's, there's a huge cost in that. And there's a huge cost, the environment of us not, not traveling as well. So I think uh, you need, maybe need to think about your virtual strategy about how that's all going to work and, and uh, potentially you know, consider the environment, but also still provide opportunities to meet people face to face where possible. So I think those are some of the changes. And of course, if you've got to be fleet of foot at the moment, you know, around your business models, you know, I've had to do the same with mine myself this this year is is actually adapt to what's really needed right now out there. So a lot of creativity is needed and, and the ability to pivot because there's a lot of companies who can't adjust their models. In, in certain areas have uh, have disappeared. Now, some of those who've gone, interestingly, are ones that we've probably seen for a while that have not been adapting. So they're paying the consequence right now. But if you don't adapt, it's at your own peril. It's at your own risk. And then the other thing is about, you know, as a leader bringing in, just bringing in more compassion and caring into your leadership and creating safe environments that also engage the younger generations as well. Oh, it sounds as though... Again, we're back on that theme of creativity and being agile and flexible enough to do something different to meet real needs that are out there and to take it as an opportunity to say, what can we even improve in our own company context, our own company culture and how we're operating? What can be attractive in essence for bringing people back so that they want to come back and be in the work setting? So asking those sorts of questions and answering them collectively and figuring out how to make it more exciting on the return. I think this has been an opportunity for reflection, this pandemic period, and for organizations to say, what can we do so that we're better on the back end than we were even on the front end? Even though things might have been fine, this is a chance to clean up a little bit, if you will, and create more of what we want going forward. So I think that those are some really good thoughts, Chris, to keep in mind. You said something about the younger generations, and I want to go back to that because I know many workplaces are struggling nowadays. 
what can we do? What, what works? What are the leadership strategies that are effective and that are successful for the younger generations? What do they want? How can we provide that? And it's a little different than dealing with sort of like my generation of the baby boomer types. So what would you suggest there? I think there's a flexible approach required and, and, and I think an open-mindedness because the danger is, you know, middle-aged people may be running a business, but they, they don't have the same mindset as a late teenager or somebody who's early in their 20s. So we've got to adapt. It was interesting, one said to me a couple of weeks ago, she said, no disrespect to you, but we're kind of, we're in this mess because of um, uh, middle-aged white males. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to explain to her, say to her, look, you know, uh, there's some middle-aged white males who are actually you know, are looking to change, change things and help resolve some of the problems that's, uh, you know, been created. And so don't, don't put us all in the same basket, really. And I've got a 14, 15 year old coming up to 15 year old boy. He, he thinks I'm an idiot, really. I think, I don't think he has huge respect for me, particularly. He has his own way of doing things. He, he likes flexibility. He likes to be on his phone. He's, he has the concentration span really of a, of a gnat at the moment. And to keep the younger generation entertained if you if you try and tell them what to do then some of them may just say, actually don't need this you know some of them have been had comfortable upbringings and think well you know go and find another job or i'll take have a little bit of time off um so there's some <laughs> with that sort of approach i think there's some others who um, i've seen who are just you know amazing it's all about attitude actually recruiting people back to my mars days we, we always talked about recruiting knowledge attitude and skills knowledge you can acquire skills can be developed the tough one is attitude so you've got to be looking at any recruitment processes um attitude and, and bringing in those people who are young and I'm meeting a, a number of them who are uh, you know wow me with their enthusiasm their passion their energy and um, their, their desire just to contribute I think there's great hope but I think we have to think a bit differently to engage them and create the environment they want and the flexibility they may want to so it's always a long answer there but well, what I'm hearing out of it is that really the open-mindedness is in both directions because there's mutual learning. I mean, the younger generations can learn from the older, the older can learn from the younger. And creating that future together, if you will, is also an opportunity that I'm hearing when you're being open-minded in that sense of being flexible and adaptable. And I heard you talk about with the flex, there's the tech, because the young people like the tech aspect. <laughs> and, you know, keeping it fun, keeping it interesting, not just boring telling people what to do. I get the sense that oftentimes young people want to roll up their sleeves and jump in there and co-create it as well. I think those are just some ideas that certainly may be helpful going forward in terms of engaging the younger members of the workforce and having maybe the mindset that it's a good thing, you know, as opposed to that it's a problem. How can I leverage this good thing that I'm getting an infusion of the new talent? I guess one more thing is mm-hmm. as well that I think is wonderful about this generation and the, they're concerned about environment, about diversity, uh, about um, you know uh, about racism, um, equality, you know I think these are just wonderful. It's so important, and you know generations that are maybe you know uh, have got hidden you know bias and you know, need to question all of that to actually gain the respect from this younger generation, and they need to also be you know, driving to fix the mess up to create 
purposes that are engaged in that contribute to the world. And I'm just about extracting the most possible, you know, creating organizations that enable you to engage with them and not put you in hours of, of, of phone queues trying to get a new mobile phone problem or a problem fixed. We have to change these dinosaur ways of behaving and, and create that speed of response that somebody gets from WhatsApp to their friends, um, th th their attitude towards um, you know, gender and all that sort of thing. We can learn a lot from them and, and the world needs to change and uh, uh, you know, we won't get the full respect if we don't make that move happen. Absolutely. So Chris, how can people get a hold of you? How can they reach you? What's your website? How can they find your books? And also the Business Elevation podcast. Tell them a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So the chriscooper.co.uk is my website. And then um, for the book, this is the, this is the book here. You can get that from Amazon and, and places like that online, The Power to Get Things Done Whether You Feel Like It Not, which was co-authored with a clinical psychologist, Dr. Stephen Levinson. If you've got a question, I don't mind you email me, me chris at chriscooper.co.uk. want to get in touch. Also, a good place, maybe LinkedIn. So I think Christy Cooper one I think, is my LinkedIn and sort of Twitter type of handle. Some available there, really. So the show's available, the Business Elevation show is in Spotify, Google Play, you can go to Voice America, it's on iHeartRadio, you can see some information on the, on the, the website. Um, so you, know, you can go to your little podcast app on your phone or whatever and you'll, you'll find it. Okay, very good. Thank so you. Chris, as we're winding down today, what words of wisdom would you like to leave for my audience of executive business leaders? Well, I think we have to all work towards elevating our consciousness and the, the quality of our awareness of what's really going on in the world right now. And, and, and that includes the awareness of ourself. So I think, you know, it starts with each of us and that appetite to keep reading, keep learning, to listen to podcasts like yours and keep on developing and growing. I would recommend that you do identify your superpower I do utilize a system called Talent Dynamics to help people understand flow. I think there's over 800 of them now. That's a wonderful tool. So use tools, work with people like you to do that. Um, ensure that you equip yourself such that you can contribute positively to uh, the world's problems. We don't need more people who are trying to con others out of their life savings and things like that, or trying to extract cash out of people and not offering value we need to be offering lots of value and i think we all should be making sure that we pay play our role in improving the the, the situation the lives for all humanity and beings on this planet really so find out where you fit in and, and make a positive contribution thank you so much chris i really appreciate you being here on the voice of leadership and sharing those words of wisdom today Thank you. It's been wonderful. I always love talking to you and it's just been great. Thank you so much for inviting me along. Absolutely. And you're welcome Thank to you. come back at any time. So, <laughs> so I'm sure we'll have some future possibilities that we can talk about as well. And to everyone else out there in the Voice of Leadership audience and also for Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership, there are many takeaways from our guest today, Chris Cooper, and I hope that you're thinking about a few of them. I'll just mention 
the whole concept of making sure that you have wonderful people around you, people who can challenge you, people who can give you feedback, and who can hold up the mirror so that you can lead yourself first. We also know from Chris that it's important to find out what your superpower is, connect that to your purpose, and find creative and fun ways to get yourself to do what's most important and that will lead to your long-term objectives in life. And I would say most of all, from what I heard from Chris, is we're here to raise our consciousness collectively, to elevate that, to bring more love as opposed to fear into our world. And we can do that together. So those are just a few takeaways listen again and take away some other items for yourself. In closing today, I want to leave our biblical word of wisdom. And it's related to what Chris said, because he talked about how important it is to engage other people. And today he's given us a lot of wise counsel that we can apply going forward. So this verse comes from Proverbs, the 15th chapter, and it's verse 22. And it says, without counsel. Plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.